Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That's just a pitch. It's so hard to prepare for it. The 0-2. Jenkins with a fly ball to deep left field. That ball is way back. We're gone! Solo home run by Claire Jenkins. Talk about getting off the schneid, and we're tied up at two here in the top of the fifth inning. Man, I'm so proud of Claire. I'm so <laughs> proud of her. Oh, my gosh. The 0-2 is hammered to deep right field. Way back. Way gone. Three-run shot for Kaylee Tao. And the Crimson Tide has an early 3-0 lead here in the bottom of the first as Tao sprints and jumps on the home plate. 1-1. And that ball is driven to deep left field. That's way back. Way gone. Another three-run homer for the Crimson Tide here in the bottom of the first inning. It's 6-0 Alabama. Holy smokes. <laughs> Maris Schroeder, yet to have a hit this year against Florida. Uh, that's changed. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> what a first inning for Alabama as Kelly Barnhill, in what will probably be her final game at Florida, has been chased in the first inning. One two pitch. Hempill with a drive to deep center field. That one's back, and that one's gone. Three run homer for Bailey Hempill. That breaks the Alabama record for both home runs and RBIs in a single season. And it is a party here in OKC. It's 15 to nothing, Alabama. Oh, man, Tom. Payoff pitch to Hardy. That one is lined through to center field for a base hit. Go! Chloe comes home. The throw is through time. And Alabama walks it off. So a single by Caroline Hardy. And we're playing again in 30 minutes. Ah, yes. So many memories. Welcome in to the season finale of the Out of the Box podcast. It has been a long time since February when we recorded the first episode this year, and now we are wrapping everything up in a nice little bow. Gray Robertson here, alongside, as always, my partner, Tom Canterbury. Softball's over. Uh, sad. It's sad. Yeah, I know, yeah. What, what, what do we do for the next eight months until, <laughs> until it's time to go again? I mean, I guess we'll cheer for football. Yeah, I hear we're getting rings at some point, so I'm looking true. forward to that. Yes, I got to get my size ready. I was told <laughs> I have to go to a jewelry store or maybe they'll bring someone to Alabama. I'm not sure, but yeah. either way, I need to figure out what I am. You're right. I, I have no idea. I've never had to size up for a championship ring. Before. No, the last <laughs> time I got sized up for a ring, it was when we got married and that was uh, Jennifer and I are going to have our 15 year anniversary in July. So oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So, but uh, that being said, my, uh, my finger has grown <laughs> since then, apparently. And I'm sure <laughs> the championship ring will be a, a little bit, gaudier than the wedding <laughs> yes. ring that you picked. Yes, I certainly I certainly hope so. 
I want it the gaudier the better. <laughs> Absolutely. As many jewels <laughs> want, as possible. I want it to be almost impossible to lift. This is the season finale, episode 12 of the Out of the Box podcast, and here is your trip around the bases. We are starting at the plate. We're going to talk about everything. Alabama and the Women's College World Series, a season wrap-up as a whole, and what to expect next year because, as we've said all year, Alabama was ahead of schedule. Yes. They're going to be better next year somehow. Finished third nationally <laughs> and uh, the year before we were supposed to be good. So looking forward to all this. Then we will advance to first, break down the SEC in 2020, ask who will challenge Alabama, and plus already some big names in the transfer portal. Oh, the transfer portal's been busy early. Active. Yes. Just sweeping people <laughs> in left and right. Just just, just, just hovering over people and, and, <laughs> and transporting them away. Then we will steal second with Patrick Murphy, and we've heard of him. Yes. Alabama head coach, SEC coach of the year. For the fifth time. Yes, and we will chat with him about this year yeah. and uh, it's kind of a good bookend for the podcast and then we will round third with Jen Schroeder oh, UCLA yes. alum uh, we haven't talked about it but UCLA won the national championship yes good for them Oklahoma didn't Oklahoma did not yes so we'll talk to Jen about that it's She's, rare I've cheered as much for a non-Alabama <laughs> game as I did you we there were many of us watching <laughs> that 16 to 3 game and I can tell you uh, I haven't seen people as excited it was as glorious. they were about that score it was glorious <laughs> and then we will head home and that's where all the fun begins folks we've got all name team oh Who is yes. the MVP no oh, wow we know I I, I don't th- I think we're on the same yeah wavelength. I'm with you and then uh, we've got the Tom's hungry podium choices mm. Who are the bronze, silver, and gold medalists for each of us for Tom's Hungry? There are so many contenders. So many. Yes. I had a tough time. Uh, And then we've got Off the Wall. And then I'm going to say what I meant to say at the end of the broadcast when I was sobbing. A little little choked up, a little bit Yeah, it was the first time I've been around for the conclusion of a season, and it showed. Yeah. (laughs) There are 297 teams that start. Only one gets to win their last game. So. It wasn't Oklahoma. No. And then uh, we will reveal our future plan for the podcast and also um, reveal, I guess, what we're going to do at the beginning of next year because Patrick Murphy's already announced the first three weeks of the I, season. I know. Wish it was next week. I, me too. I was re- I'm ready to go. And including one that's going to be just a blast down mm-hmm. in Florida. So that's what's happening on this show. Let's, uh, let's start at the plate, Tom. Yes. And talk about the run in OKC because Boy, was it didn't end in a national championship. No. But if there was a way for a run to feel satisfying that didn't end in a national championship, Alabama's did in OKC. One hundred percent. That's there is nothing about that the run in OKC or basically the entire twenty nineteen season for Alabama that can be construed as a failure. It yeah. was an abs- it was an absolute success all the way through. You know, this it was just it, what a remarkable run it was for Alabama, especially in OKC, to get the draw that they had and to show the fight that they did, even in the game that ended up eliminating the Crimson Tide, the if necessary game on Sunday against Oklahoma. Just the no quit attitude and the, and the refusal to give up, basically the, the refusal to go away quietly, and uh, just what what a performance by everybody up and down. All uh, twenty players on that on that roster uh, contributed something all season long, and even in OKC as well. It was uh, it was really remarkable to see what was accomplished by this Crimson Tide team. It was a very exciting first game against Oklahoma. The three two loss. We thought it was even, yeah. and that would definitely prove true. The later on the tournament would go. Mm-hmm. And then game two, uh, and you heard it in the intro, folks. Oh my gosh! A fifteen to three five inning win over Florida. Uh, you know, I, I talked about it ad nauseum at the SEC tournament. How 
that game didn't feel like a finale. It right. felt like a, a little precursor. This that was the finale. Yes, a race of Sopranos, <laughs> Friends, Parks and Rec, yeah. all those finales. But no, this this is the finale that I'm going to be talking about for a long time because what a way to end that clash between two titans in softball. Yeah, people talk about disappointing finales like you know Game of Thrones. A lot of people weren't happy with lost things like that. Those are both finales I actually enjoyed. I enjoyed this one. 10 times as much. This was just the most fun. I can't believe I got to say the sentence and Alabama's up 15 to nothing <laughs> against Florida. It was just, it was just amazing. What <laughs> you had two, three run homers in the first inning, uh, Kelly Barnhill, one of the greatest pitchers in, in sec, if not collegiate softball history, doesn't make it out of the first inning, uh, has to come back in the fourth and throw one pitch just so her final pitch in, in college wasn't a three run homer given up to Mary Schroeder. It just up and down. What a job by that Alabama team against. And, and that was a game I was, I was frankly concerned about. I know really? you were, I know you were like, you were the most confident you'd ever been before, before that game. And I, I wasn't that I wasn't confident. It was just one of those games. I had no idea. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure one way or the other, uh, but to see us come out there, I was pretty sure after the first inning, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, third batter of the game. Well, that's that, I feel good now. That, you're right. That'll be that'll be the ball game because uh, <laughs> uh, what what a, what a performance all the way around. And to have that performance and then for it not to affect negatively the next game against yeah. Arizona, I think was equally as impressive. Yeah, that Arizona game I think was really for we've known about Montana Fouts. I think a lot of national softball fans have known about Montana Fouts, but I think the casual fan, that Arizona game was the introduction she deserved, and it was beautiful to watch, really. Apparently, everyone, except for the people that were voting for National Freshman of the Year, (laughs) knew about Montana Fouts. Yeah, what is that? Uh, But yeah, what a a job by Montana. So in two games against Arizona, dating back also to the game in Tucson in February, against Arizona, two complete games, victories for Montana Fouts, and did not give up an earned run Mm -hmm. against one of the best offenses in all of college softball. Certainly the best power offense yeah. in softball. What it just it's amazing to see what she was able to do and then to turn around and do what she did against Oklahoma the next game. That that really shows how, you know, she had the talent coming in. Yeah. But how Alabama, Steffi Mambreco Pro Throw, this this the, you know, the, what the coaching staff overall has been able to do with her, how she has as coach Murphy, I'm sure is going to talk about when we ask him here in just a little while about how she has learned how to pitch yeah. here in, at Alabama. People need to be worried about the next three years when Montana Fouts takes a circle. And a, uh, another pitcher is coming in, but we'll talk yeah, about that right, later. Right, sure. yeah. And then I think the Oklahoma, the doubleheader, you're right about the 1-0 victory. I, again, the job Montana Fouts did pitching that, the job Alabama did just getting to G. Juarez. The fact that Alabama was able to win that game despite not getting on base <laughs> after the first inning until the seventh, right? Right. Insane. Right. And then the loss, you know, there, there, you could argue some things. I, I think that you could debate a lot of things about that game and how it went down. But at the sure. end of the day, as I said through tears on the post game show, <laughs> why do you want to? No. Because this, this was a team that played four games in 30 hours. And at the same time, they proved what they needed to prove. And you would have loved to get a national championship, but you're still proud of them. Right. Oh, 100%. You know, the, you look at the first game against Oklahoma, that was. The second game they had played in about 20 hours, maybe. Give or take, yeah. Yeah, uh, against another, if Arizona's not the best offense, Oklahoma is. Yeah. And you have Montana Fouts going out there again. So she throws 300 total pitches, or a little bit over 300 pitches, in that time frame 
against two of the best offenses in the country does not allow a run period. <laughs> and then, and then keeps it when the Alabama offense struggling, she Juarez was just whatever she was doing. Alabama wasn't able to do anything with. And yeah, that, that was, you know, all, all her. And speaking of player development, what she has done at Oklahoma this year. Oh man. Uh, after, you know, she wasn't bad at Arizona state, but not definitely not at this level. Oh no. Jen Rocha yeah. is a wizard. Unbelievable. Just to, and to not let that frustrate her and to just go out there and do her job and allow the offense to be able to finally get to her. You saw her, you saw it in the seventh inning, you know, Kaylee Tao had the double, you know, you, you saw, okay, you're starting you just got to give us one more inning. And, and Montana Faust was able to do that. And then uh, just the, the storybook, Caroline Hardy coming through with the, the game winning RBI, the senior uh, comes in and just what a, what it was, it was a, a tear jerking moment. It was uh, to get that, to get that win. And then just, unfortunately you're in the F necessary game. So you got to do that really quick turnaround, 45 yeah. minutes, uh, unnecessarily quick. In I, my opinion. I contend that if we had had a two hour break, yeah. I still think Alabama wins that game. I just so so just a quick turnaround helped yeah, Oklahoma. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it helped Oklahoma. You know, you start I had zero issue with starting Crystal. Agreed. Uh I thought I thought that was the right move. I don't think you could I don't think you could physically pitch Montana Fouts again. No. I, uh, I think you could have afforded to do it an inning if yeah. if absolutely if needed. Right. But so, at the same time they had also seen her for what? 15 innings. Right. So eventually they were going to sure. catch on and get a, a hit right. here and there. Yeah. So I'm, I think it was a situation. Maybe you could bring Montana Fouts in, in the seventh inning for a safe situation, maybe. But, you know, you have Crystal Goodman starting. You know, maybe I, I can understand the argument, maybe taking her out and bringing in Sarah after the first home run in the sixth inning. But, you know, you you give up two runs in the first, and then Crystal pitched really well yeah. for four innings. One hit. Yeah. And then, you know, they got to her in the sixth inning. Uh, maybe an in, maybe a batter too late taking her out, but I don't. Does it really matter at that point? No, I don't, I don't think it did. Uh, but I, as I said, though, I think you know you had the Skylar Wallace home run in the top of the six to pull Alabama back within one after they were down uh, four to one. Uh, again, just uh, just showing the the absolute no quit attitude that this team had uh, till the very end, and uh, they have absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. So let's take a look at the season as a whole. Bailey Hempill. Your new Alabama single season home run and RBI record holder and tied for the lead with Mia Davidson, a record that just was yeah. evaporated this year. Sure. And single season SEC home runs, just unbelievable development. And we're going to talk to Patrick Murphy about that. But to see her go from nine home runs to mm-hmm. 13 to 26 with that RBI number continuing to go up. Yeah. Next year could be massive. Yeah. And what was her final batting average? 375. Oh my gosh. I think that's, I'd have to check and see what uh, Kelly Kretschmann's average was in that 1998 year. I don't, I don't think it was probably much higher than that. So I, uh, you can make the case. This is the greatest offensive se- single player season in Alabama softball. History. Plus Bailey had a stolen base. Don't forget that. Of course. So. Yes, she did literally that, did it all. Did everything. Uh, and, you know, and, and saw opponents pitch around her a lot of times mm-hmm. too, which Alabama this year was able to make people pay for more often than not. But just what a, what a job by her. And it is one of those where you could see it when she came here from Lafayette, Louisiana, you, you saw the talent and the possibility there. The potential has always been there for Bailey Hemphill, but for her to really recognize it and achieve it here this year. And by the way, she's coming back next year. She is coming back next year. <laughs> Do we want to give a most improved award? Would it have to be Maddie Morgan? <sighs> 
I think, I, yeah, I think so. Since Claire right. tapered off a little bit as the year went on, she still had her big hits. But sure, you can either give it to uh, Manny Morgan or KB Sides. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and both of them were just instrumental uh, in uh, so many big plays at the end of the season. Uh, just you know, Im- improvement and, and contributing all year long. But then the defensive plays by Maddie Morgan, and then when she got those hits, they were big time. Mm-hmm. And then KB Sides, wow, <laughs> what a job of her in the. Uh, I mean, super regional was super regional. She would have been the the player of the super regional, surely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then you know, had Alabama been able to go on uh, a magical run, winning that game and going to the championship series, KB Sides would have been in the conversation for World Series mm-hmm. player of the game, a yeah. player of the the whole series. Well, and considering how much she struggled in that first game against OU, right. Played pretty well yeah. in OKC afterwards. Right. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to cover, and now we get to look at next year. And we've oh. talked about how this team's ahead of schedule. Yeah. You know, the biggest loss is obviously, I think, Reagan Dykes behind the plate because yeah. you're losing a captain. You're losing someone who was basically a starting catcher for four years. Mm-hmm. And that's really tough to replace. That's right. just That's going to be hard to fill in. I know there's a recruit coming in, but I think Alabama also needs to look into the portal in the offseason. That seems to be the one big hole because other than that, everybody's pretty much back. Right. Yeah. You've you've you only you have four seniors to replace, and nothing can be said enough about this four four person oh, senior man. class. Uh, Reagan Dykes probably on field is the one that you will miss the most. Like you said, uh, Courtney Geddens, the other captain. You know, miss her as far as far as the bullpen mother that and just she being was. a fun person right. to hang out yeah. with. Uh, that was uh, a Mary Schroeder. What she was able to do. What she's you know again the final meaningful pitch in Kelly Barnhill's <laughs> career a three run homer by Maris Schroeder and uh just a just a such a solid left field that she played as well so you're gonna have to f- figure out how to fix that and then Caroline Hardy the the secondary coach that she was in addition to what she was able to provide you at the plate so yeah but you know that's part of collegiate sports you always got to replace people yeah uh, certainly sounds as though that that is happening <laughs> very well and if you're if you're a catcher that is looking to transfer I can't imagine a better place to come than Alabama, considering the pitching staff you're going to be working with, uh, the opportunity to compete at the highest level. It's a program that sells itself, and especially you know the talent that's going to be on the roster for Team 24. I think Patrick Murphy will have his have his choice. You've got Montana Fouts, Sarah Cornell, mm-hmm. SEC Pitcher of the Year, who right. didn't have her best stuff as the year went finished no. down. Then you got Crystal Goodman, mm-hmm. and then you throw in a freshman, Lexi Kilfoyle, yes, who. Rumors have said, I, I have to see it for myself. Rumors have said that she's better than Montana Fouts. That's scary if she is. That's terrifying. <laughs> and so you've got them. Right. I mean, how, what what more could you ask for if oh you're my a gosh. catcher? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a absolute dream staff to be catching. You know, Bailey Hempill can also catch, So you're, but the main thing is you're trying to keep yeah. Bailey from having to catch. You would love for Bailey, especially after some of the plays we saw in Oklahoma City, right. Bailey should be at first base. Right. Easy. Yeah. That's even if when Kaylee Tao, you know, when she has, you know, gotten completely back from the injury that kept her from playing first base for most of the second half of the season, I'd be fine with Kaylee going back to the outfield or being the the secondary first baseman. But yeah. I agree. I think Bailey Hempel has proven defensively that she can handle first base. Uh, I'd be I'd be fine with that. Me too. And then there are some names around the transfer portal that we'll talk about later. Hopefully, we bring in a couple to Tuscaloosa. That'd sure. be nice. Yeah. And but the infield, you know, you've. 
ideally, I think, in my opinion, Bailey Hemphill at first, Skylar Wallace at second, Claire Jenkins at short, Maddie Morgan at third, all coming back. Oh, my gosh. And Alyssa Brown anchoring in center, of course. Right, of course. I mean, <laughs> and, and KB Sides and, and right. Exactly. So it, it is a, a, a tremendous returning class for this Alabama team. The main thing I think they're going to have to is going to be a mindset. They're going to have to work yeah. on their mindset now. You know, this year it was easy to have the mindset because no one – no one thought they could do it. No one believed in them at all. So you kind of could play the underdog role, you know, take that, the eight from the preseason poll, the eight in the, in the, uh, the seedings and, and kind of use that as fuel next year. Everyone's going to believe in them. Yeah. Next year. It's going to be, they're going to be told how great they are from the word go. It's how do they deal with having the expectations on them now? How do they deal with being told how great they are? And you know, are they, they still have to work as hard as they did, if not harder than they did this year you know, coming into next year. I think that that's the main issue for me is can that mindset continue, which is one of the main reasons why we thought this team was team 23 was special from the beginning was, you know, you could just see it, Yeah. you know, in, in their mindset that they're going to have to have, it's going to be a different motivation, but they're going to have to same, have to have the same mindset. My biggest question before we go to break and we'll talk to Patrick Murphy about this, but will Alabama be able to be special immediately because they're going to have to be they <laughs> open be. at florida state and then we go to clearwater right week two there's no all right we get we can get a little revved up here and mm-hmm. then we've got arizona game right. six in right and then we can you know play okay teams and then we get revved up again for a minute no you've got to be revved every single right. game because the non-conference strength of schedule next year is a bear yeah you're 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 not easing into it no it's going to be hard from the jump and right this team is going to have to be ready from game one, yep. I assume Florida State will be either game one or game two of the season. And after that, full speed ahead. Yeah, and that, that's what you're going to have to do. And if Alabama starts off next year at 33 and 0, we're just give wow. us the trophy now. Wow. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's us at the plate talking about Alabama. We'll talk more about that with, uh, with Patrick Murphy later on. But now, Tom, we've put it in play. Who are we? Uh, well, in honor of what we just talked about, Bailey Hemphill. All right, we are Bailey Hemphill. We, we crushed it to the wall, but <laughs> we hit it so hard, it bounced off the wall and kept, kept us to a single. Yes, so we have <laughs> we have put it in play, Bailey Hemphill style, causing an earthquake across the country <laughs> with how hard that ball was hit. And we're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast, and we come back. SEC in 2020, is it that easy? Is Alabama really just a far and away front runner? We'll talk about that coming up here on the season finale of Out of the Box. Welcome back, folks. We have put it in play and we're advancing to first here in the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you as we wrap up the 2019 softball season. Single tier. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing. You know, we talked about it during the season. We would, you know, talk about how we feel as though we'd been on the road for months at a time. So yeah. the, the SEC I mean, tournament, in some cases we right. were. Yeah. The SEC tournament comes to mind. It's like, my God, we've been in college station <laughs> for 18 years. My children have graduated high school, but, but at the same time it goes by in a blink of an eye. It, yeah. it, you know, we were in Troy and then all of a sudden we were in OKC. It is amazing how quick that goes. And, you know, when it's, when it's a season like as special as this was for Alabama and team 23, it really goes by fast. And, you know, you, you ask any of the seniors that they will say that it, it feels like they just got to Tuscaloosa, you know, and, and then their, their career's over. It's amazing. 
So the year's over, and we're gonna we'll talk about that later because there are a lot of good memories uh, oh, to which we can look upon from this past year, <laughs> and some of them actually happened at the softball field. Yes, yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> it wasn't all luau's and piano bars, folks. <laughs> right. But we can take a look at 2020 because yes. I think as interest continues to increase for softball, we're going to see more and more. I don't want to say like we're getting a Lindy's and a Phil Steele's for softball yet, but I think that we're we're getting there. I think right. that's going to happen in the future eventually. Well, I mean, shoot, look at the uh, the ratings yeah. from the for the women's college World Series. Uh, they were up like almost fifty percent from the year before, and they were good the year Huge. before. And it's it's funny you saw I saw Amanda Scarborough, a friend of the program. Yes. Uh, she tweeted out the difference between five years ago, her first year doing the women's college World Series, and then this past year, just the uh, you know the ESPN setup. The uh, you know the table was instead of being you know a little you know a twenty dollar table they bought at Pier One now now they get this <laughs> now they get this huge setup on the field with Tim Kirkjian and everybody else out there uh, so it's just amazing to see the interest uh, for softball and it's just going to continue to grow because I think everyone got a taste of how fun this this sport is nationally if you've never followed it if you're a baseball guy and there's nothing wrong with baseball you can be a fan of both. I'm a fan of both. I, I, you know, no reason to stop watching baseball. But if you want baseball in an hour and a half, two hour time slot, uh, with all the excitement of it, you know, in a condensed form, softball's the way to go. Absolutely. And and just to kind of linger on that point a little bit, we are an example of that because four years ago, had out of the box been released, a we probably wouldn't have as many listeners, but b it would have been pretty radical a softball right. podcast. Right. Now, no one was doing that. Now we got seven innings. We got in the circle. We got yes. plenty. We're, yes. we're just one of many in this softball podcast family. <laughs> now, now, now we're, we're thinking about having an Anchorman style battle at some point. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the plan. <laughs> Clearwater, here we come. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. But Alabama in 2020, we've talked about how this year's team, 2019, Team 23, was ahead of schedule. Yeah. That's scary mm. for the SEC, considering yeah, Alabama so. won the league by four games. So who's next? I mean, uh, it's is it is it that easy, really? I, it's not, I think I think next year the SEC is going to struggle a little bit because you're losing a lot of power players in this conference. Alyssa DiCarlo, Amanda Lorenz, Kelly Barnhill. You're losing some big transfers for teams. Abby Cheek was a senior. She's gone. So you're losing Um, a lot of the best players in this conference. You are, but at the same time, I think you're seeing freshmen come in as ready as they've ever been to contribute right away. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to proclaim myself as, as someone who knows every freshman that's coming in on all these teams. So uh, I would not be shocked if there are immediate impact freshmen that come in that will mm-hmm. change the way that we think about some of these play, some of these teams up and down the standings for the SEC. That being said, I, I think I kind of agree. I think the SEC as a whole uh, may come down a little bit. Uh, I think it may be a little bit more where I think Alabama is the most where you have the most definites, where you have the least amount of questions entering 2020 again. There was a lot of questions last year for Alabama, and and they and, and they were all answered very positively. Yes. So a lot of these teams that have those questions, they might have, might be answered positively as well. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the packet, the seven page packet that I have. Wow, for SEC softball key personnel for 2020. Ooh. There are teams that are really going to have to fill some holes. Sure, Florida comes to mind. They're not losing a lot, but what they're losing, you're lo- losing the bet, possibly the best hitter and pitcher you've ever had. Yeah. So basically you know, it's all casual. you're losing. And right. then you look at Auburn 
who's losing their top two pitchers. Yeah. Chardonnay Harris has entered the transfer portal. Now, that does not mean she's officially leaving because you can enter and then come back. But it's rare to enter and not leave. Yeah. And Michaela Martin, from what I understand, although I haven't seen it confirmed, but from what I understand, she did not have her medical red shirt waiver allowed. So she her career is done. Mm. So it looks like Auburn is losing Michaela Martin and Chardonnay Harris. It's going to be really tough. Yeah. And they're also losing Casey McCracken, top batting average, and Kendall Veach, top home run hitter. And they come to Tuscaloosa this year. They do. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Should be a fun series. (laughs) And then you'll look at teams like Arkansas, Mm -hmm. who bring back Autumn Storms, who pitched well, and then Mary Half. The second team All-American Autumn Storms. Yes. And then Mary Half, who apparently had a torn ACL in the NCAA tournament. Totally unknown. No idea. Right. Patrick Murphy told us that. After I think Courtney Diefel announced it after they were eliminated, like yeah, Mary, right. Mary was uh, unavailable. Amazing. Torn ACL. Right. Oh, so what? that's that's why she didn't pitch at all in the regionals, and why Arkansas was literally the first team eliminated from the. 64. Now I don't blame them. Right. Though. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like you understand, but then I mean I don't know what the you know people are coming back quicker and quicker from ACL injuries than ever before, but I don't know what the time frame is for a pitcher to yeah. come back from an ACL. So well, and we don't know when it was sustained. I assume it was after the SEC tournament. Yeah. It was either during the SEC tournament or after because she pitched in the SEC tournament. Yeah. So that's complicated right. for Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Florida and we've talked a lot on the broadcast about how it was going to be a tough year for Florida next year. We talked a lot during the 15 to three Alabama victory, eliminating Florida from the women's college world series. I do recall. Yes. It was a good day. It was fun. But this is a oh, team. Oh, two in the women's college world series. Yeah. Florida. Bizarre, right? Mm, amazing. They really earned that five seed a little, little bitter. This is this is an interesting team, though, because they are bringing back a good number of people. Yeah. I find it interesting that their stars offensively are probably going to have to be Hannah Adams and Kendall Lindemann, but they are bringing in the number two recruit in the country, a catcher, Julia Cottrell. Apologize if I'm saying that last name incorrectly. And then a pitcher, the number three recruit, on, okay. according yeah. to Softball America, Riley Trilisek, that might also be wrong, Probably. and I apologize. And a Michigan State transfer, Sharla Eccles, who we saw hit 344 for the Spartans. Oh, so wow. they're bringing in talent. It's so, just So basically, if you're good in the Big Ten, you'll come to Florida eventually. Basically. Right, okay. It's just the question is, can all this talent replace the biggest shoes right. ever needed to be filled in Florida history? Yeah, that, that's always the question. And I think it's a little bit of a, um, a perilous road to go down if you're always relying on transfers to come in and, and be the big... The big, big influence. Yeah. We've seen how that backfires in football. Right. It can, it can lemon had a fine season this year. And you know, it, um, as we talked about during the world series, I'm sure Minnesota was very upset that Kendall Lindemann wasn't on that scene because the Gophers could have done a much better job in the World Series had they had the bat of Kendall Lindemann. Uh, they could have actually deserved their seventh seed. But overall, you know, if, if that's what you're relying on, it, it can be an issue uh, because you're part of what you do when you're a freshman coming in, you're part of a recruiting class, you've already jailed with the other girls in that recruiting class. Right. You come in and it's all right, this is this is us. We're coming in. And now, you know, you never know how a, a new person coming in, what their personality is going to be, how that's going to gel. Sometimes it goes really well, like with Courtney Geddon said for Alabama. There was no issues with that, if, if anything. And obviously it, it, it was an improvement uh, for the class. We'll see what happens with Florida. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks with the Gators. Yeah, I could see Florida, honestly, coming in second in the league. I could see them, if things don't work out, being eighth, yeah, ninth. Lower middle there. of the pack could definitely be. It is a it is a big, wide margin for the Gators next year. And then you look at Georgia, and they're basically in the same boat. They're not losing a ton of people. They're losing Kylie Bass. They're losing Alyssa DiCarlo. 
Kylie Bass, you could argue, was their best pitcher down the stretch last year. Alyssa DiCarlo, one of their best hitters ever. Right. But they bring back basically everybody else, a lot of seniors, the senior class next year, Allie Cutting, Melina O'Neill, Jordan Doggett, Allison Fibri, Mary Wilson Avant, Justice Mills, Sierra Bryan. So very experienced. I think the question is, can that offense, without Alyssa DiCarlo, take that next step up? And can Mary Wilson Avant pitch like the star that we've seen at times? Yeah. She's had glimpses, but she hasn't been that consistent ace that Georgia has needed. Of the teams we've gone through so far, and we're just kind of going alphabetically here, but Georgia's a team that I think has the best chance. Hmm. Um, to challenge Alabama? To challenge Alabama. Hmm. And another reason why that is because they won't play Alabama in the regular season either. True. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, as we've seen, you know, a lot of times the how the schedule falls helps or hurts you in those standings as well so i think georgia has a good good shot again it's all about i'm i think i'm a little bit higher on mary wilson avant than than most people are i I think i think she's going to be able to um to be that number one for them uh and then they can use so much uh returning senior leadership as well because we saw them after alabama got the sweep they they went on a good run well febri got hot and then that led to the whole offense get going. And I wonder when CJ Landrum is able to come back. Cause we yeah. saw her pinch run a little bit in the NCAA tournament, but she wasn't able to bat when she's back in the lineup and able to fill, maybe not fill, but able to take the place of that Courtney Emanuel that was missing this year. Mm-hmm. How will that offense be able to work? Yeah. And I'm not saying Alabama would not have swept Georgia at, had she been playing in that game, but in that series, but that certainly had an impact. Yeah. And that was the first series she'd been out. Right. So, so they were still getting used to it. Yeah. So if she, if she's able to come back at full strength next year at the top of their lineup, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more worried about Georgia than anybody else so far that we've talked about. What about Kentucky? Mm. Kentucky, they're losing Abby Cheek. They're losing Kelsey Henson. They're losing Katie Reed. And they're losing Jenny Shaper. That's a lot of leadership. It is. It's a lot of offense. They bring back, though, Grace Ballman and Autumn Humes, who we know when they're on, they can be the best pitchers in this conference. And they've got some offensive power as well. Kayla Kowalik was in the running for SEC Freshman of the Year. Mm -hmm. And they've got some recruits coming in, two of the top 25 recruits according to Softball America. Kentucky... As usual, I think is a wild card. Yeah, they they are. It's one of those things where even after the pre-conference, you're not going to really know <laughs> know what you have with with the Wildcats. But I, I think Humes, I think she is a legit top pitcher. Ballman is in the in the same category. Uh, we kind of thought Dixie Relly kind of had her Stephen Garcia moment against Alabama. Humes pitched really well against Alabama, but I think she's a little bit more legit. Yeah, overall. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what Kentucky does. We, we don't, don't play them. them. We don't no. play them either. So again, they, that that could That's help. Fine by me, honestly. Yeah. yeah, that could help the Wildcats a little bit. But replacing Abby Cheek, I, I think Kentucky will have a little bit more of an issue replacing Cheek than Georgia did replacing DiCarlo. All right, so that's Kentucky, LSU. Mm. This is an intriguing one because they are losing. Amanda Sanchez came in for a year was great and then kind of tapered off. I mean, real that that's a whole podcast in itself. How do you <laughs> rate the year of Amanda Sanchez? Right. Yeah. Because she couldn't get a hit to save her life mm. in the latter part of the season. Amazing. Somebody ends up with a batting average of 354 and really struggled at the end. And remember, I think when we did midseason awards, we gave her player of the year. I think at the time she had eight home runs. Yeah. And she finished the year with nine. Yeah. So I think that as a little bit of a combination of just, you know, struggling at the end and then LSU's schedule was a little bit back-ended. Yeah. So kind of like Alabama's was. But they also lose Shamaya Sanchez, lose Amber Surrett, Michaela Schlotman, Elise Thornhill. All gone. Yeah. Okay. LSU brings back basically all the pitchers. 
Actually, no, basically, all of the pitchers. All of okay. Wickersham, Gorsuch, Sinceri, who was great at the plate as well. They bring in the number seven recruit in the country and the number 14 recruit in the country, according to Softball America. Aliyah Andrews is back. Amanda Doyle is back. And Savannah Stewart, who really impressed us when we were in Baton Rouge. Right. She hit 362 this year. She, when they moved her up to the top of the order, did a great job for Beth Torina. LSU could be really dangerous again. And we know they're coming to Tuscaloosa next year, which could prove to be a huge series. Yeah. LSU, the main thing they're going to have to do is just avoid that end of the season swoon that they've had the last yeah. few years. They, and it's been in the regular season that this has happened because they've actually performed pretty well postseason wise. It's just that they've had, they've started off really well in the conference and they, then they've swooned. Uh, so that they just got to avoid that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be – I think it's more about a mindset for LSU than it is necessarily for talent. I think talent-wise, you can make the case they're the second most talented team overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – and in the fact they play Alabama, uh, we'll see where that – I don't know if it's, we know exactly when that will happen. It I assume it will be a bit uh, well-scheduled to right. to reflect how important that series yeah, will probably so be. We'll see how where that falls. If it's toward the end of the year, I think it, it favors Alabama. I find it interesting that they've got all their pitchers back, and yet I wouldn't put LSU in the top three pitching staffs in the conference coming no. into next year. And I think not that's, based on what they did this year, but yeah. they could always improve. Well, but that's the difference. I think if they can improve in the circle, get more consistency, I think they've got to trust Shelby Wickersham because she had some of the best stuff I saw, but they just didn't go to her a lot. And if Sinceri can improve as well, LSU could challenge Alabama. If not, we're going to look at the same deal. Probably yeah. with just a, a couple fewer wins this season. Could, could certainly be the case. Ole Miss. Bring back my girl Molly Jacobson. <laughs> Lose maybe the best player in program history. Probably the best pro- player in program history. Kylan Becker mm-hmm. hit 426. They bring in the number 18 recruit in the country. They've got Abby Latham coming back. She had 54 runs batted in. They lose Brittany Finney in the circle and at the plate. Ole Miss, again, a team that... I'm certainly not going to put in the pits of the SEC next year, but I, I get, think I got to see them before I can say, all right, this is a team that can host Supers next year. Seems very familiar. Seems yeah. like that's the way that we think about Ole Miss a lot. Also, you know, pitching staff, or the, the pitching coach, excuse me, uh, is gone as well. Correct, yeah. So, going to Charlotte, I yeah. believe. So, you know, that's something that Mike Smith's going to have to deal with there is replacing the you know somebody on his staff. Uh, and we'll see if, if there's more movement. That's the first one that I've seen as far as coaching movements there have been this off season. So we'll see how much that affects things in Oxford, but yeah, it's, it, they're kind of an enigma. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we kind of thought they were going to be toward the, the bottom of the pack this year and they went into the last weekend of the regular season with still a chance to win the conference. So yeah, I think it's going to be the same situation next year for the, for the rebels, their rivals. We know what we're getting. Yes. Mia Davidson, Fale Lua and our girl, Emily Williams, mm-hmm. Emily Williams with a two ninety ERA, 156 strikeouts, 148 walks last year. <laughs> Effectively wild. <laughs> Effective is an interesting word yeah. at times. Right. But we know what we're getting with Mia Davidson. 64 mm-hmm. runs batted in, 26 home runs, tied with Bailey Hemphill for the SEC. Single season lead. Fale Lua is as scary a batter as you'll ever face. Oh, my gosh. And after that, it's a little light. It'll be weird to see them uh, without uh, Bebe Robinson. Is she? Yeah, right. She's exhausted her twelve years of eligibility. Somehow she graduated law school, <laughs> right, and has moved on from Mississippi <laughs> State softball. I just don't know what this team is going to be next year because right. I it's think, so hard to rely on just two players, right. and they're going to have to fill a lot of holes. One of the main key departures, I think, is Cat Moore leaving because she, agree. you know, she in the three hole provided that protection for Mia and Falala. I don't know if that's going to be. <laughs> 
uh, be available next year uh, for for Van. But um, you know they're 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 going to be. I think they're going to be again in that spoiler role. They're a team that you know if if Mia and Fa hit the ball, um, they can beat almost anybody. But if if they're uh, contained, then they can lose to almost anybody. I think Mississippi State is going to be probably resigned though to the 11 12 13 spot in the conference next year unless yeah. they can get some big time transfers which is always a possibility always a possibility i mean that's yeah. what happened with Law. yeah exactly Lua rolled in and was terrifying pitchers <laughs> here in the southeastern conference missouri they lose maddie norman she was their ace 183 innings last year mm. bring back jazz rollin who i think was probably one of the top three freshmen in the conference. Yeah. Brooke Wilmus is back. Kim Word is back. Cassie Gasper in the circle has to improve. I think Missouri, though, they can be pretty good. And yeah. they're going to bring in some people, but they already exceeded expectations this year. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's hard not to think Larissa Anderson's going to keep that program moving upward this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I see them being uh, one of those teams that they can mash, so they can beat anybody, but kind of along the same lines of Mississippi State, they can lose to anybody as well. They're going to have to improve in the circle. Uh, which I know uh, that's what Larissa is going to be looking to do. Um, and then hopefully they get, a, get I'm sure they are, they're going to get a final answer on any of the probationary stuff that's going to yeah. happen. Uh, they were able to play postseason this year because they were under appeal. Hopefully that appeal will be heard and, and be voted on one way or the other. So they'll at least have their answers before that season starts. I, I for one, I don't think they deserve to, to lose no. anything postseason wise. If you so. know the real story, which a lot of people do, yeah. you know that Missouri doesn't deserve any kind of ban. No. So hopefully hopefully that'll be ruled on. They can get past that. And uh again the Tigers gonna be a team that, you know, you're it's gonna be one of those you'll hate to see that you're gonna have to play. Uh, and we have to go there. We have to go there, right. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure it'll be ten degrees. <laughs> we love those road trips. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be May and it'll be ten degrees. You know who's graduating this year, Tom? Oh, who's out of here? Dixie Rayleigh. Hey, all right. Dixie Rayleigh, we will not see you on the field next season. You're out. Goodbye. Uh, Dixie Rayleigh is gone. Kennedy Clark is gone. I'm amazed to see she had a 276 ERA and a 12-5 record. Because it seemed like, you know, she played pitched great against Alabama. And then whenever else we saw her, you know, we were following her stat wise or anything, she was always getting shelled by somebody. I know. So she, she had a, a much better season, than I thought, overall. Good job by Dixie, but very excited for her not to be in Columbia anymore. So excited to never see you again. <laughs> right. However, South Carolina's coming to Tuscaloosa next year. That's going to be a tough series because you look at their roster. Kenzie McGuire is back. Mackenzie Bozel will be a senior. Kayla Drotar, who actually pitched the most innings. I was very surprised yeah. to find that this year. Yeah. She will be back as a senior. Jana Johns, a junior. Kelsey O, I'm sure, will be healthy yeah. and back as a junior. Alyssa Kumiyama, junior. And they've added Cassidy Krupit, Baylor transfer. Oh, yeah, I remember her. I mean, this is this yeah. is a good roster. This is a team that I think I would be pretty surprised based on the experience that they finished outside the top five in the conference next year. A team this year that, you know, this past season uh, kind of underachieved. They, a lot of people were, were very high on South Carolina, and uh, they made regionals, but they were they were definitely a super regional type team talent-wise last year. It just didn't gel, work, work together all the way through. Uh, we'll see what happens here next year. Yeah, I think they're a team talent-wise. They are a, a, a team to be reckoned with. We're here on the Out of the Box podcast previewing SEC 2020. Two teams to go, and this is the team that if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said they're probably the number two. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know because the transfer portal. No, look out. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They bring back Jenna Holcomb. They bring back Amanda Ayala, Chelsea Segern, uh freshman, now sophomore, Ashley Rogers, who was excellent in the circle, sure. and Allie Shipman will be yeah. healthy. Mm-hmm. 
They've got two great recruits. Number 10, recruit in the country, a pitcher, Callie Turner. Number 11, recruit in the country, Kiki Malloy, outfielder, and apparently also can pitch. Okay. That's great. Yeah. They lose, however, Aubrey Leach, one of the best leadoff hitters the SEC's had in the last five years. Sure. Haley Bearden, their really only power threat last year. Maddie Moss, who we knew was leaving because of graduation. And then the real stunner, Kaylin Arnold, entering the transfer portal. She had a 233 ERA last year. Third most innings on the team, but she was who they turned to in the uh, Gainesville Super Regional in that elimination game. Right. And she's gone. Rumor is she's going to Florida State. That hasn't been announced yet. But for now, all we know is she will not be wearing the orange next year. And that's a big loss for the weeklies. Yeah. Big, big loss there. And, and a surprise. Cause I mean, I had not heard there with uh, uh, having any issues there. So we don't know the reasons why she entered the portal, but yeah, I, I think losing somebody that caliber along with Maddie Moss, they're going to be able to hit which yeah. is whether or not they're going to be able to pitch. Uh, so it's a, it, which is a huge difference in what we thought was going to be the issue with the balls. Yeah. And then finally, Texas A&M, not much here in terms of players. You got Kelby Fortenberry and Kendall Potts and Peyton McBride. The yeah. real story is Craig Snyder, Florida State assistant, one of the best hitting coaches in America, leaving to join this staff. It's almost as though Texas A&M has a lot of money that they're they're willing to throw around. I mean, yeah. I've seen their facility. It's pretty Ooh. weak, not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, I, I don't know if the roster talent will show up this year, but I think the coaching talent is going to be there. And I, I think also just being very blunt about this Texas A&M has set up a scenario where if next year doesn't go well, they've got a coach in waiting with yeah. Craig Schneider. I mean, that's a great coach who can be a head coach and would be an excellent hire in the sec. If there was a need to move on from Joe Evans. Yeah. Which is, which makes you wonder if the decision to bring in Snyder was her decision or the uh, athletic department's decision. I'm going to go the latter yeah, on that one. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, losing somebody that the caliber of Klingler to transfer is, is a big loss. Yeah. Uh, Cause you, we, we weren't looking a lot of really impact returners to begin with and lose somebody, the caliber of, of Klingler it, that, that that's rough. Uh, and then you lose Sarton who was kind of thrust into the uh, leadership role this past year. Uh, so a little, little bit more turnover than they were expecting in, in College Station off of a, a disappointing year. They did make the tournament, uh, so all 13 teams did make it in the SEC this year, but A&M was by far the 13th out of 13. Yeah, and I, I, I'm worried they're going to be back there next year. Mm. But we'll see. You I, all I know is you, you don't build $33 million stadiums to finish last in the conference. And that is why Craig Schneider, I think, is... Mm. He, I think he's going to be in College Station for a long time. And what capacity? We'll find out probably as we preview 2021. <laughs> that is us advancing to first. Tom, we've got the sign. Who do we have a sign from? It's Patrick Murphy, right? Of course. Well, this is ironic because we're going to steal second and talk to Patrick Murphy. It's almost as though we set it up that way. Wow. I'm so good at outlines. <laughs> Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy will join us on the other side as we steal second here on the Out of the Box Podcast. We are stealing second here on the season finale of the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here with you. And just like we did to open the season, we will close it with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy, the SEC coach of the year. Coach, welcome in. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. And, you know, it's been a couple days since the season ended. I'm sure you've been able to take a deep breath and kind of look back at what the last couple of months have been like. What have your what are your biggest takeaways from Team 23 in this past year? Well, I guess, you know, first, I want to say congrats to UCLA. 
for winning the national championship. They played great all, all year, really, um, and, and looked very, very good at the World Series. So congrats to Kelly and her team. And then also to uh, Augustana, who won the Division Two. Uh, Greta is a good friend of mine. She does a great job up there. And then um, Texas Lutheran won Division Three, and uh, Wade does a really good job there. And, you know, it was just a really, really good year for softball, I think, across the board. I think it opened a, a lot of eyes. Uh, obviously, people in Tuscaloosa have known for years what a great sport it is, but I think it's just growing and growing. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway this year is the growth of the sport. Um just across the country and you know tv does a great job for us but the people that come out and buy a ticket and come watch you know that's the real um advertise of our sport because word of mouth is still the greatest advertisement and i guarantee you that you know we talk about having talk triggers um at alabama softball and i guarantee you that people would would leave our park and on monday morning when they'd go to work you know during a coffee break or whatever it was the first thing they'd say is you should have been at the Alabama softball game, you know, and then they tell the story. So just a good year for the, the sport of softball. And and then for us, uh, it's probably going to be a long answer, so sorry. <laughs> no um, worries. We, You know, we, we started off really with a bunch of unknowns, and I think I've told the story to media, but I don't know if I've told you guys this, but, you know, at the beginning of the year, I have the seniors over at my house. We have senior dinner with the coaching staff, the, the four seniors this year, and there's about a series of 12 questions that I ask and there's really not a right or wrong answer. We just kind of want to see where they're at in terms of, um, are they thinking the same thing we're thinking? So there's a bunch of questions and we literally go around the room and everybody answers. So it's four coaches and four seniors. And one of them is what's the biggest question mark for this year's team. And it literally was split down the middle four, four. And the first answer for the four was, the pitching staff. And then the second answer, uh, and I think I answered it this way as well, was the infield because we lost, you know, three-year starter, four-year starter, four-year starter. And, you know, there was people had to step up and take those spots. And it really, you know, the pitching staff was awesome. Steph did a great job with the five. And then I think the infield really stepped up as well with new people that, um, some for about half a season first base because Tao played there for you know until she got hurt, but first, second, third, and short. So those questions were answered, and you know I think when we got on that roll of 33 straight games to open the season, I think it just every time it just gave somebody somebody different, more confident, more confidence, more confidence, and and by the time you know we we lost to A and M on game 34. I think it was everybody kind of knew that we had something special and and then you know to sweep four SEC opponents two on the road two at home it just that doesn't happen and you know I try to explain to the media in Oklahoma City that I don't care who you're playing but to sweep somebody that third game and you guys know this because when we've lost the first two you know we're doing everything in our power not to get swept so for us to do that uh, against a really good Florida team, obviously, and a really good LSU team on the road was also something that was really cool that this year's team accomplished. Coach, I know every every senior class ha- is special. 
in a former fashion, but there was just something different about these these four seniors that you had, Reagan, Courtney, Maris, and Caroline. And uh, just w- what do you think that these these this particular senior class meant to you and to this program? Well, I think you know throughout their careers, um, obviously the three were here for four years, and Courtney we got for two, but they played different roles. But you know, for the most part, they accepted the role and then played it to perfection. And you know, Courtney's role this year was much different than it was last year. And you know, we only had three pitchers last year, and she was basically the number two behind Osorio. So her pitching load um, drastically went down, but her impact and her leadership and her contributions to the team probably doubled. And, you know, most kids are probably thinking, well, she didn't get to pitch much, so she really didn't contribute, but it's the exact opposite. And what she did off the field in the bullpen, you know, with the other pitchers, uh, she's very competitive. Number one, um, hates to lose. And then she just has this, um, ability to rally the troops and she did a heck of a good job and same thing with reagan you know as a senior catcher and she's been through everything as uh kind of behind the plate as the backbone of of the defense so and then caroline and maris and the same thing for them they've had different roles you know they've been a starter they've been a pinch hitter you know they've they've been a person on the bench that has to kind of cheerlead and they just all four of them you know accepted the role and played it to perfection chatting with alabama head coach patrick murphy here on the out of the box finale coach in the first episode we asked you about the japan trip and how that might bring together your team and now we're at the end of the year and i want to kind of bookend with that conversation do you feel like the japan trip did help with the team camaraderie and chemistry before the season started and led to what was such a successful year for team 23 oh most definitely you know and i can still remember the the crack of the bat when montana got to hit (laughs) and hit a grand slam against new zealand and the reaction in the dugout was like Oh my gosh, you know, it was just one of awe and just to, you know, have Crystal and, um, you know, most of the freshmen, Skyler didn't get to go because she was playing in that national championship game, but to have most of the people there was really cool. You know, they got to, um, see how practice worked. They got to spend some time with Michelle in the weight room. Um, you know, all the little things that go into it that, you know, they didn't have to experience for the first time in September. They got to see it, you know, eight straight days in July. So that was, it was huge for us. And just to be able to travel and, you know, spend basically 24 hours a day with the same group of people. Um, it's definitely, it definitely helped us. Uh, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I do have a follow-up because I've had a lot of people ask. So is there, is there a chance? I, I'm not going to ask you to show your cards just yet, but could we potentially see Montana Fouts hit next year? You, you could, because I asked her in her, in her uh, exit interview right after the season, and because her and Skyler are going to go play for Team USA. Um, so I said, you know, one of the questions I asked her was, I said, do you miss hitting? And she said, yes. And I said, well, we're not going to, we're not just going to um, do away with it. And I know Lexi Kilfoyle, who's coming in next year as well, they're both two really, really good right-handed power hitters. So, and that was one thing that 
if we needed a little bit more of was right-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers. So um, you could see her. You could see both of them, really. Yeah. Again, I, I wish the season started next week at this point. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coach, uh, we, it was, we were, right now we're talking, we we're trying to decide who would win the most improved player on the team award this year. And there's so many uh, candidates for that. It seemed like everyone took a huge step forward, but a couple of the players that we talked about a lot during the season were both Maddie Morgan and Claire Jenkins, what they're able to do both at the plate and defensively. Uh, you had to have been really excited with what you saw from Maddie and Claire this year. Yeah. And you could probably put KB size in there too. And probably crystal and Sarah. Yeah. If uh, Steph was voting, <laughs> you're right. You know, both of them improved tremendously from, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, Crystal gave up that home run to Murray State, a pinch hit mm-hmm. home run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were, we were probably all thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> and then just continually as the season went along, she just got better and better. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you could culminate it with the win at LSU and a shutout at Georgia. And, I mean, I don't know. It, it would be a, a tough call and both Maddie and Claire would be in there. But, you know, the, the, I think one of the keys though, was that, that whole sophomore class, the way they came back. Um, and you got to put Kyra in there too, because I feel bad for Kyra because she, I think she was on her way to being a very, very valuable member of the team because in, in scrimmages in preseason, she was one of the best hitters on the team and nobody really could get her out. Hmm. And then she, you know, she did, she did well at the Troy tournament and then, you know, just, it stinks, but injuries happen and, you know, she was gone for the year, but that was another right-handed bat that we really missed. And just a quick follow up on her is how, how is her uh, improvement going and will she be available at the beginning of next year? You think? Yeah. Oh yeah. She's okay. uh, working hard and it's a, it's a weird injury, you know, the kneecap came out and slipped out of place. And unfortunately it's a long rehab and I know she's getting tired of it, but, um, you know, day by day. And, um, she did get to swing a little bit, just like, you know, sitting on a bucket. Um, obviously couldn't do any lower body, but just to get her upper body going again. And I know, um, with her KB Kaylee and, and Maddie, you know, they'll all be working really, really hard again because, you know, they, they wanted a spot. They wanted to contribute. And then it really came down to the last weekend before the season started. And they, they won the spots. They earned them. So, but they're going to have to do it again this year. Chatting with Patrick Murphy here on the out of the box season finale. All right, coach 375, 26 home runs, 84 runs batted in. And you get those numbers back next year. That's Bailey Hemphill having, as Tom said, maybe the best offensive season in Alabama history. And we've seen those numbers improve steadily. Nine home runs freshman year to 26 this past year. 41 runs batted in freshman year to 84 this year and hit 309 in her first season, now north of 370. How good can Bailey Hemphill be next season in her final year for Alabama? Well, you know, it's hopefully she's, you know, once the season is over and it's over, um, it's next year. So she can't, she can use all those things that she learned this year, but if she tries to duplicate, it's, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I'm more worried about, um, what she's trying to, 
you know, I don't know, expectations or whatever, but she just needs to be, she needs to be Bailey again, you know, and let the game come to her instead of trying to do things out of her control. And I think she'll do that. Um, Cause I think you saw a little bit of that out of Tao this year mm. after she had such a good freshman year. And then she kind of pressed a little bit and now you've got the, everybody knows Bailey now, you know, I think people knew before, but I think she really showed what type of hitter uh, she can be this year. And hopefully we'll have, we'll have protection in front of her and behind her. And hell, she did a lot of that damage in the two hole down the stretch, yeah. which is crazy, you know? Um, and the key to that though, is there was a lot of people on base, you know, behind her and in front of her. So KB and then Alyssa did a great job in the nine spot getting on. So really it was, you know, when Alyssa would get on, it would basically be one, two, three, you know? Right. So Bailey's basically hitting in the three hole. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, she's grown as a kid. She's grown as a hitter. She's grown mentally, um, much more mentally tougher than when she came in. Um, I think she's, you know, and I, I agree with you. I don't know which one of you said it, but, probably the best offensive year in our history. And I think, you know, I was just looking at team stats the other day, but I don't know if you guys mentioned this before, after I get on, but our walks to K's this year was some of the best we've ever had. Oh yeah. And I think it was almost a hundred more walks than K's. But when you add in the hit by pitches, it was huh. over a hundred. So that, that was just impressive to me because I think they bought in. We did a couple new drills at the beginning of the spring that we were just working on pitch selection and it, it, it worked, you know? So, and it started kind of with, with Tao and Bailey because I think Tao had what? 66 walks. Yeah. Which that's just unreal. And Claire had like 46 or 48. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you look at her batting average and it's not that impressive, but then you, you go over a couple more categories and you look at her on base and then you're like, okay, she really contributed um, to the success of the team because her on base percentage still was very good at the end of the year. Her batting average kind of suffered, but she was still getting walks. You know, she was getting walked two times a game and you know, that's more her than anything else. Cause she had the, the discipline and the pitch selection. Talking with uh, Patrick Murphy, the uh, now five-time SEC Coach of the Year, talking about uh, <clears throat> Team 23 and taking, taking a look at Team 24. And, uh, Coach, you mentioned earlier in the interview, Lexi Kilfoyle coming in and uh, going to be a unbelievable pitching staff, I think, for you next year. Uh, if, if you can, just uh, kind of introduce people to uh, what Lexi's going to bring in. And, uh, man, the staff's going to be awesome. Yeah, and, you know, I just wanted to – we did have two departures after the season. Um, Madison Preston and Chloe Anderson both are going to um, find somewhere else to play. And, you know, they were great young ladies, and uh, we wish them the best because um, they just they were a part of Team 23. But, sure. you know, they want more opportunities, and I, I don't blame them one bit. So, and, you know, I'll be cheering for wherever they go, but we'll have um, four pitchers. So we'll have the two seniors, Sarah Crystal, Montana, and then Kilfoyle as a freshman. And Lexi Kilfoyle was just named the uh, Florida Gatorade Player of the Year for the second time in a row, won her second straight state championship. Mm. Um, she's a 6'2", um, heavy drop ball, change up, um, 
she's been working on a rise ball, but um, most really good drop balls don't get hit out get hit out of the park. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, she does hit. She hit a home run in the state championship game to give them a one to nothing lead. So um, great, great kid in the mold of Montana, and um, looking forward to having her here. And then we finally have a right-handed hitting outfielder, which is, I think, for the first time since maybe all the way back to maybe 2015 or, or 14. Um, Jenna Johnson is her name. She was up for the player of the year in Tennessee, uh, played center field in her high school and summer ball team, but just a very, very good athlete, hits right, throws right. And then we have the 5A player of the year in the state of Alabama, Savannah Woodard, another really good athlete. Um, throws right, hits left, and she's not a very big kid, but she's got some pop, um, very, very uh, good defensively, just a, just a heck of an athlete, uh, played basketball as well. Um, who else do we got? Carla Heiss, a catcher from Ardmore. She's uh, about 5'10", just a very, very good presence behind the plate. Um, took her team to state, maybe for the fourth time, but I, I, I'm not sure. But I know they were there. They were there at least two times. Um, but just a very good uh, target to throw to. That's what really impressed me about her. And um, she just looks like a million bucks in the catching gear. I think she's going to do well behind the plate for us. So, and then I'm anticipating one um, transfer for sure, and then possibly another, just to see. You know, because we had 19, and we ended up losing six, and we were signing four, or they're forthcoming. So we do have room on the roster. So um, we'll see what happens. How much has the uh, kind of the emergement, emergence of the uh, transfer portal kind of changed the way that you uh, recruit or look at? Um... I, you know, for coaches, it's, it's not that, you know, it's, a, it's the same thing, you know. Yeah. Kids, kids were transferring. It's just that's true. It, it's a different. Um, I don't know what you call it, but it's just a different way to go about it now. You know, a little, a little more public. Uh, I guess. Yeah, and it makes it. I guess it makes it makes it easier for the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I don't know. It's, I think it's kind of the same thing, and um, you know, I don't know if it's. Um, I think it's just more public now. Gotcha. You know. So maybe that's why it's talked about a little bit more. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, Coach, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the season to start. Um, before we let you go, though, and before we really can start talking about next year, it is a rules change season. So I'm curious, what would you like to see addressed in the off season by the NCAA and all the powers that be in softball? Well, for sure, the slapper out of the box rule. Um, it just and, and you know, and to help the umpires and to give them a little um, less beef. It's a difficult rule for them to, I'm not, you know, harping on them, but for years when I would say she's out of the box, you know, it was a complete foot and they would say to me and rightly so, do you want me to watch the pitch or do you want me to watch the batter? So I can't do both. And it, it was true because, you know, shoot Montana throwing 71 miles an hour. You're trying to look at a pitch and also some kid out of the box and whether they swing, it's a foul ball. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So it's difficult. But I think when it's obvious, complete foot out, um, 
you know, that's a little bit, I think that's a little bit different because when I, usually, and it's usually right in front of home plate where she's completely out of the box. It's an outside pitch. The umpire is basically right over the middle of the plate. The catcher's moved over. So basically all he, all he or she does is when they look down, it's obvious. Right. It's a whole foot out of the box. So I'm not sure if that's going to be changed because, you know, we saw way too many calls where, and I just don't know if it was they were guessing or they saw a footprint or whatever, and they called kids out of the box, and the replay shows that they're in the box. So, you know, that needs to change because basically they're taking the slapper out of the game, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. So that's probably my my number one. What about replay? Just out of curiosity, would, we saw it at the SEC softball tournament. Would that be something you would want implemented maybe in the SEC regular season? Yeah, or for sure, postseason regionals, super regionals, World Series. Hmm. You know, I, I was kind of mixed emotions about it because I didn't want it to take forever because I've watched a couple Alabama, you know, baseball games and it just seemed like it took forever. Um, you know, like seven to eight minutes. It's just too long. So I think if if we could do, if you could set a time limit too, you know, say, hey, you've got two minutes to make the call. If you can't then, then the call on the field stands. So to keep the game moving. Um, but I would like to see that um, back. And I don't know what you guys thought of the four umpires. Uh, it seemed like the umpiring at the World Series was really pretty clean, you know. Yeah, I, I, I thought, thought everything um, was good, other than maybe some ball strike calls. Yeah. But that four umpires isn't yeah. going to matter there. But the uh, yeah, <laughs> no. the the plays on the, at the base paths and everything. Look, I, I didn't have a problem with anything. No, I, I think no. there were maybe only two missed calls that I saw in the whole World Series. I mean, they, which you'll take that. So credit, credit there. Yeah, credit yeah. there. Um, I still think the strike zones have shrunk, and uh, mm-hmm. going along with speed of the game, I think you're going to speed the game up if you call the strike zone as written right. uh, in the rule book. And I think people would be forced to swing more. I think you'd get more outs. I think you'd get more strikeouts. And, you know, I was looking back at, at um, my scorecard during the World Series, and it is it takes an act of Congress to get somebody to strike out looking. It's right. unbelievable. You know, when you have somebody like Montana throwing 70, when she can't get a strikeout looking, it, it it says something about a strike zone, I think. So, you know, that or, you know, people are really good at protecting the plate. But, mm. man, it just seemed like there was a couple times where, you know, an umpire could have rung a kid up and they just don't do it. So it just seems to me like you got to throw it over the heart of the plate. There's no such thing as, you know, a black on the black for a um, pitcher to paint a corner. Yeah. Coach could 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 not agree with you more. I think the uh, the strike zone definitely needs to expand, and like you said, be called uh, as written. Well, Coach, we yeah. we appreciate the time here today. We appreciate uh, joining us on both the la- the first and the last show of here out of the box, and uh, just personally appreciate uh, you and, and the entire uh, program uh, for the last couple of weeks and and everything you guys have done for me. It's been uh, if there was ever a question about whether or not the Alabama softball team was a family or not. It was definitely, definitely answered here uh, the last few weeks. So, uh, we, I, again, just personally, I appreciate you and everything that the program has done. Yeah, well, we love both you guys, and thanks for uh, really kind of spreading the, the word of college softball, and you guys have done a great job this year. Appreciate Thank it, you, Coach. Coach.
That's Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. And now it is time for us to round third here on the Out of the Box finale. Jen Schroeder, former UCLA catcher, will be joining us here on the podcast. That coming up here on Out of the Box. third here on the out of the box podcast the finale episode of the season as softball is over which is very sad gray robertson tom canterbury here with you but we get to talk about all the great things that we've seen this year and a part of that was something we haven't really talked about a lot that was ucla winning the national championship (laughs) over oklahoma that they they did well they did very well yes unfortunately alabama didn't get to see them at any point but it was it was fun but maybe in the future and yeah there was a, a big ucla fan in the stands in OKC, and that was Jen Schroeder, former UCLA catcher. You probably saw her on the bases loaded coverage of the NCAA tournament. Jen, welcome into the podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. You know, I was really hoping that Bama was going to pull out game two, and it could have been a Bruin versus Bama finale. That, that would have been a lot of fun. The, the, you know, they, I think UCLA now uh, that Alabama's got a win over Arizona, a couple win over Arizona. That UCLA may be the only team that Alabama's played multiple times and has never defeated overall. So that really, yeah, yeah. Al- Alabama's zero and nine all time against the Bruins. Uh, Whoa, so, okay. Yeah. Well, would, would hopefully like to, they get another shot at us in the next few years. Yeah, would like to change that at some point. No offense, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Jen, I have to ask, because if, if anyone yes. follows Jen on Twitter, they've seen the story of the white shorts. So <laughs> what what is the deal with the white shorts? Uh, just give us the whole you story know, here, Jen. Okay, here's the rundown, is that I wore these white shorts game one with that stupid jean jacket tie. And then day two, we actually had a package deal clinic on Friday. And so we went back to the hotel. I was not even planning on rewearing the same outfit, which normally alumni we have a uniform every day. I relay the uniform to the alumni and you have to wear the same shirt. Well, that hadn't been working in years past. We haven't won a national championship in a while. Hmm. So I relayed to everybody, no uniform, wear whatever you want. But me being so superstitious, I thought, you know, we played really well game one. I'm going to stick my same shorts. I'm just going to see how it goes. Well, because I did it game two, I had to do it game three, had to do it game four, had to do it game five. Those white shorts are no longer white. To be <laughs> honest, they're still in a package deal travel bag. I'm scared to take them out and wash them. Oh. I think they're going to smell so bad. <laughs> Is, are you going to so, frame them? How, what's going to happen next? I really don't know. You know, a lot of people are calling for me to auction them off, which I think is just so disgusting. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I'm no. unsure. I know. I'm like, who would want those dirty shorts? <laughs> I mean, I guess if we could fundraise the money for a good cause, but... I really don't know what I'm going to do with them. I'm wondering, like, do I have to wear them to their celebration rally on Sunday? I don't have to, right, guys? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah, you yeah. wear whatever you want. Okay, good. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but, uh, you mentioned uh, that it had been a little bit of a rough go for UCLA in the postseason here lately. I remember uh, 2016, actually, Alabama and UCLA, we were in the same uh, same hotel uh, and we were the two teams that were zero and two in, in the in the World Series, so that that was kind of rough. But yeah, yeah. but um, what does it mean to you and, and the other alums uh, to see UCLA back as a national champion this season? You know, obviously, as let me give you a little history on me. So I got done playing in '08, and I was the very first class in the history of UCLA not to win national championship. Mm crazy, yeah. right? Like yeah. When Coach Enquist comes into your in-home visit and she rolls 11 national championship rings across the table and says, 
if you come here, you're going to win one of these. And then you're the first class not to. So I feel like I was kind of the first, you know, there were four of us in my class who kind of saw the table start to turn. Like we got beat by Florida at the World Series. And when I committed to UCLA, there, there should be no reason why Florida would ever beat UCLA. You know, that's just how mm. the game has grown so much, which is great. It's great for ratings. It's great for recruiting. It's great for so many things. But it's not great if you're a UCLA alumni expecting to win all of these championships. So I think to bring the trophy not just back to Westwood, but back to the Pac-12 because there has been a drought, I mean, to me, it's, I'm very prideful of the pack, but I'm more so prideful of the parity of the game. Mm. And I think that it's going to make the game a lot more fun for fans, for players, for recruits. And it shows me how much the game is growing. I think everyone is excited about the growth, but I'm most excited that I don't feel like the ceiling is near. I feel like the ceiling is still so far away, and that's what makes me most excited as now a fan. But, and then as somebody for UCLA, and, and I think we kind of, it's kind of a similar situation to what we have as an Alabama football fan when, you know, uh-huh. you, you know, you want Alabama to win the national championship every year and Alabama has a team to be right. able to do that. But at the same time for a, for, you know, if, if you are just a regular college football fan, you want to see somebody different every once in a while. Right. But now, you know, as a UCLA uh, person and alum, you know, it, you can almost take more pride in winning this year's than some of the ones early on because the field is so much better and it's and it's so uh, it, it's almost more impressive to win it now than it was even back in the day. Oh, I think it's so much more impressive to win it now, and especially like my my freshman year was the first year it was a three game series. So we won game one against Michigan, and then Michigan came back and beat us the next two games. So the game has changed so many ways you have to have more arms right you have to have a more diverse team and so yeah i mean you get what i'm saying where it's like Absolutely. i want UCLA to win the world series every single year mm-hmm. but fans of the sport are happy that it's not the bruins or it's not bama you know winning every single football title uh but i'm still just so excited i can't <laughs> i would i would still prefer if UCLA were just win every year sure. but I know that can't happen. Yeah, it's like when people say, but don't you want it to be a close game? No, I want to win 56 to nothing every game. Right. It's, it's no, much more no, fun for us that way. 16 to 3 sounds great. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. It sounded great awesome. to us, too, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's so funny is I just I felt like the whole year, I mean, UCLA, obviously, we were ranked one early portion of the year. We beat Oklahoma pretty badly in Palm Springs, 7 to 1 score. Granted, G didn't throw that game, but our team already knew that they could beat her because they beat her up pretty bad in the pack. Right. Right. So there was all like the whole country was saying, Oh, but UCLA hadn't beaten G. I'm like, well, no, actually they have quite a bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, I think that the shift that happened with everybody focusing on Oklahoma became really good for UCLA because I think UCLA became the underdog when in actuality, if you kind of matched up talent for talent, I think that UCLA was the more talented team, not taking anything away from Oklahoma because they are a fantastic, fantastic ball club. And I love those players and a lot of them work for us, but I, I think that UCLA truly was the better team. And obviously they had the better player in Rachel Garcia, who really right. just carried UCLA throughout the whole postseason. We saw when she didn't pitch, that was really the only couple of times UCLA ran into some speed bumps. I mean, is there any way 
you can put into words what Rachel Garcia means, not only to UCLA, but to college softball. Because when we talked to Eric Lopez for our In the Circle Out of the Box crossover a couple weeks ago, he said that she was the face of softball for the next eight years. And I think that that has a lot of merit because right now she is the biggest superstar in the game. You know what? I am so proud of her. I mean, one, her family, her mom and dad in the stands are two of my favorite people. She is an only child. And sometimes when you're a pitcher's parent, when you're a pitcher's daughter and an only child, that can really mean bad things. She is the most selfless, humble, uh, just fantastic human being. Uh, I think that she absolutely put UCLA on her back and carried them until game one of that champ series. And I think that's when her hitters finally showed up and said, hey, Thank you. Thank you for getting us here. Thank you for carrying us here. Um, it'll be really interesting. Like, did we see Rachel Garcia throw her very last collegiate softball game? We could have. We most definitely could have watched her finish her college career, and nobody even knew it. Nobody was even talking about it. And I think that that is so indicative of who Rachel Garcia is. She doesn't need the fame. Sure, she's gotten it. Sure, she was freshman of the year. Sure, she's two-time player of the year. <laughs> yeah. But you will hear her preach team over self, national championship over individual awards all day long. And I think that is who Rachel Garcia is. And I think that's what it means to be a Bruin. But it's interesting that you bring up potentially the last pitch of her college career because that's going to be a story going into next season. How did the Olympics mm-hmm. impact the college softball year? We know that Gabby Plain is in the mix for the Australian national team. So I'm curious because I just haven't gotten a straight answer. What does the Olympics have to do with softball? And will we see a lot of players skip out on a season, maybe redshirt and come back a year later or, or maybe just in their careers anyway to pitch in the Olympics right. next season? Well, you have to remember that Rachel Garcia has had a few knee injuries, right? So she's already had a red shirt. So she's a lot older. She's a fourth year for one. If we play, if we go back to history, if we go to the 2008 Olympics, or excuse me, the 2004 Olympics, Stacey Newsman took a red shirt. So she spent six years at UCLA. So there were girls who historically did leap uh, in 2008. You had Jen and Daniel Laurie who didn't play, right? Like, so history tells us that in the Olympic year, those players will tour with their national team, will train with their national team, and will not compete at the collegiate level. Now, nobody has come out and said that yet. Um, I did have a long discussion with Rachel Dad, so I do know a little bit more information that I'm not going to be the first person to share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe that if USA, if she does make the roster, and if they ask her to train and have an Olympic training year, that she is going to do that because she wants to be an Olympian. Talking to uh, Jen Schroeder from uh, UCLA, former UCLA catcher and uh, in attendance all week at the Women's College World Series this past uh, weekend or this past week in OKC. And uh, Jen, we, we talked about it all season long. It seems like, you know, with a little bit more of the parody that's going on in, in all of college softball, that this overall was probably the most exciting season from top to bottom in college softball history. Uh, first, do you agree with that? And what, what do you think needs to be done is to continue to drum up the interest in the sport as we saw the ratings for this World Series were you know year over year much better than even last year, which was a really good year ratings-wise. So it seems like a lot of people are picking up on how exciting of a sport college softball is. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And let's even talk about the entire postseason, not just World Series. Yeah. Well, we saw eight different regionals go to a – Game seven, what they call it, right? Yeah. That was just crazy. We had extra inning games. We had fireworks. We had upsets. I mean, it was just 
awesome. And then it continued to the Super Regionals. And I think that this was the most competitive World Series that we have had. So where eight teams really competed, sure, you know, Minnesota went 0-2, and I felt like they maybe weren't as competitive as some of the other teams. I think Alabama definitely got shafted with the eight seed, but they proved that yeah. they got shafted at the World <laughs> Series, right? Yep. But I think as a whole, this was the most competitive World Series, the most competitive uh, postseason that a col- uh, college softball has had. The ratings are, cr- like, that is crazy. Megaronowitz cannot be praised enough for what she has done for college softball. She has gone to bat as the ESPN coordinating producer for softball. She has gone to bat to get up, I mean, time slots, to get programming on board, to get ads on board. She's just phenomenal at what she does, and she deserves most of the credit for how much softball has grown, in my opinion. Uh, But I think that... I think that the ceiling is still so much higher, and I'm excited to see what happens in the future. For the 16-3 to game one game to still rate as high as it did, because normally as a fan, you turn on that TV and you see 14-2, to you're changing the channel, yeah. right? Yeah. So that game to still break records mm-hmm. shows us that people aren't just watching good games. They're softball fans. Mm-hmm. They love the sport of softball. I, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun for us. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I'd like to take some credit. I think that our cheering section definitely sure. had people tune in. <laughs> and, and we'll, and we'll take some credit for taking OU to the second game on, on uh, Sunday yeah. as well. So yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, trust me. When you guys were playing that game, I said, all I need is for this to go. I mean, I wanted, I wanted Bama selfishly. Yeah. I think that the country kind of wanted the OU. You know, everyone's like, oh, I want the sure. one, two matchup. Right. But all I, all I cared about was Bama, take them to a game. Tire <laughs> them out just a little, please. <laughs> what, one thing I wanted to ask you about is it just something kind of popped in my head as far as the scheduling of the World Series goes. Um, I would kind of like to see uh, a day built in between the end of pool play and the beginning of the championship series. series. And maybe that, and maybe that day be used for those, if necessary games uh, from Sunday. So that way, if something happens like what happened this year, where one of them has an, if necessary game and the other one doesn't, you're not having to see a 30 to 45 minute quick turnaround, which I think really hurt Alabama. Um, Totally. Well, that I think hurt us last year. We were in that same position last year against Florida State. We were in the winner's bracket. Now, remember, we had beat Florida State game one. And I think that last year UCLA was the better team, but Florida State got hot at the right time, and they were the hottest team at the World Series last year in 2018. Unbelievably, yes. And I think that us, I mean, they just got hot, and they, I mean, ran with it. Mm -hmm. So that game two with that 30-minute turnaround, that is so hard to do. So last year we saw Rachel Garcia get the ball immediately. We didn't see Montana get the ball again, which I was like, oh, give yeah. her the ball, just but, let her, tr-, you know. Yeah, like, but she, but fan, she had I'm thrown, like, oh. she had thrown three hundred innings because the in in less right. than twelve hours because that game against Arizona was so late in the day Saturday. Yeah. I think if you exactly. if you had had to see you know if you'd have seen a day not a day off but at least a night off and then come back the next day you might have seen Montana there. I think you probably would have. Correct. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Too. I mean, I would think that you would have. Yeah. I would have assumed that you would have. Or uh, or at least or at least a quicker quicker hook for for Crystal Goodman for Montana if Correct. she would have still gotten the right. start. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, because Crystal Goodman, I mean, she threw the ball pretty well. Yeah. She really did. It wasn't until later in the innings where I'm like, okay, is Montana going to come in? We kind of got her. We were seeing her stretching the dugout like, mm-hmm. you know? right. Yeah. Uh, 
But I agree with that. I think that we're not far off from seeing a built-in off day before that champ series begins. Yeah, and and I, the more that I think about it, you know, it, it's kind of going back to what you were just talking about with that UCLA-Florida State game. The quick turnaround favors the team that got to where they are because of offense, right? Because pitching, eventually the arm's going to wear down, but offense, it keeps on attacking. And Alabama was, at the time, really relying on Montana. They needed Montana uh-huh. to be able to win that second game against OU, and she just couldn't go because of the arm. But, you know, as right. you were talking about, UCLA relying on Rachel Garcia last year, Florida State had the hottest offense in the country, and it was uh, easy to see that the quick turnaround really just led to them continuing to explode yeah 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 and I think that that like if if we look at how much the game has grown so my freshman year was 2005 like I said I was the first class not to win a world series so when you're recruiting and when Jelly Selden so Angelica Selden is one of the greatest pitchers in UCLA history she doesn't have a national championship ring she's our strikeout leader she's Mm. our strikeout leader by I believe I'm gonna throw this set out there you guys can look I believe by almost a thousand like she killed the record books (laughs) And she didn't win the World Series, right? Because that was the first year where you had to win three games in a row in the Champ Series. So I think that the game has progressed or the scheduling because of ESPN, because we rate better, because we want more publicity on TV. I think it's changed the way that pitching staffs have to work, that people have to recruit. And now potentially the recruiting game might just be catching up to the change in schedule. Uh, I, I think we've got the schedule fixed. We'll go to we'll go to them and and <laughs> hey, use our clout. Yeah, <laughs> Jen. Uh, Jim, before we let you go, it's a rules change year. We just talked to Patrick Murphy about this earlier today, but I'm curious, what are things you would like to see changed in college softball next season? Oh gosh, well, I still think that we can work on the obstruction rule. I just think it's. I think that having to have the ball before the play at the plate or any base is made is really tough. I think specifically in a pickle situation, I was sitting with coach Enquist and there were a couple pickle situations. And if I'm a runner, all I'm doing is running straight at a person that's trying to catch that ball because I yeah. don't see how obstruction cannot be called every single time. Right. So I think that that, uh, being honed in now, I know, I mean, Alabama and Alyssa Brown got absolutely killed for that out of the box rule. I was really upset at how quickly they changed that rule. So I think that you see people who are juniors and seniors in college really being affected by it. And then you see someone like Kelly Glenn, who's a freshman at UCLA, who could adjust to it and plan for it early. Right. And I think that that's where you see a huge discrepancy. So, I mean, those are the two newish rules that I feel I need some working on. Yeah. The main thing that I, the main issue I had with the main issue I had with the out of the box was that you're calling people out for things they gain no advantage for. You're not, you know, if if you have, if you have a big toe outside the batter's box, when you make contact, you're not gaining an advantage. Now, if your entire foot is on the plate or, you know, two or three steps out in front, there's an advantage and you should be called out there. Or at least we think one main changes should be that you make it a strike and not an automatic out. Uh, but, right. No. But, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. So that's, that's the main thing. And it's such a, it's such a tough rule to enforce as a home plate umpire. Now, if you're going to that four umpire system where the second base umpire can help, maybe it's a little bit easier, but the main thing is just, it's so hard to, to call consistently. Yeah, absolutely. And will we see replay coming up? Like, what do you guys think? Do you think we'll see it here shortly? I think we have to the tournament. We, I think we have to too, but then in the sec tournament, to me, it was almost like the umpires revolted against it. Yeah. Where they, they said, still got the call wrong. Anything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. 
which well, which I, I think is which is is wrong because I, I think you look worse if you stick with a bad call as opposed to I uh-huh. think all right in in live action we got this wrong but now we see that it that it you know and, and we overturn it yeah no no one finds any fault with that I think you, it's still it's kind of uh, hard headed to and makes you look worse to stick with a bad call yeah oh I agree they're so prideful yeah umpires I mean if there was if there was <laughs> one thing that I would change. In terms of replay, I actually think that what they decide to review in the SEC tournament worked. I think, though, that the decision shouldn't be up to the umpires. It should be up to the people in the booth who are looking at the replay like it is for football. Instead of having the umpires say, oh, well, you know, as as Tom said, well, I don't want to be getting this call wrong. I don't want to say I was wrong, so we'll just roll with it. Instead, have the booth review person say, this is what actually happened, and this is the call that needs to be made. Yeah, that's very smart. And you know what I didn't like in the SEC tournament was I felt like anything that wanted to be challenged went immediately to review instead of talking to the two other umpires first. Yeah. Where I felt like some of those, there were some very weird out and safe calls that I think if you just have an umpire discussion, I think we would have maybe seen a different outcome. And I, and I think that we will, I mean, eventually, because the game, as you talked about, is just going to continue to grow. And, and as more eyes fall on softball, there will be more cries for correct officiating and, and you know, reviewing to be done and, and replay to move in and umpires to do their jobs well. Of course. And especially since baseball is getting it. And I yeah. think people throw out the Title IX when it comes to facilities, right? I think it's going to be a similar discussion that why does baseball have it and why does softball not Mm -hmm. that's jen schroeder here on the out of the box finale as we round third with jen this has been a blast and i'm actually very disappointed in myself for getting you for the finale so let's make sure that this uh this conversation happens a lot more next season okay yeah and i just gotta say thank you to you two it's been so fun to follow you on twitter and the exposure that you've given bama softball it's been really fun to watch you guys whole games and just to see your excitement and i can't thank you enough for what you two have done for the sport oh thank you (laughs) the uh the uh, in booth cam has been both a blessing and a curse i think (laughs) i love it i love it (laughs) uh thank you jen Yeah, you're so welcome. That's uh, that's Jen Schroeder as we round third here on the podcast. And now, Tom, it is time for us to head home yes. for the final time. Oh, wow. We've got, and I quote, all name team, Tom's hungry, off the wall, and the plan for the podcast next year. That coming up on the other side here on the finale of Out of the Box. Folks, is the Out of the Box season finale. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here with you. And Tom, it is time for us to head home. All right. Let's uh, let's first off review what we've done. Okay. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama, what this past year meant with Team 23 and looking ahead to Team 24. So fun. And we can confirm what Patrick Murphy said in the interview that Chloe Anderson and Madison Preston are entering the transfer portal. And okay. best of luck to them as well. Absolutely. And as Coach Murphy said, we'll be rooting for them wherever they go. Absolutely. As long and as they don't go to Auburn. <laughs> yes, that's true. And unless we play them. Because <laughs> right. And we have to, you know, we have to do our jobs and that's pull for Alabama. <laughs> then we advanced to first, broke down the SEC in 2020 team by team, talked about the two really big entrances in the transfer portal and Kalen Arnold and Chardonnay Harris. Yep. And then we stole second with Patrick Murphy. He dropped a little knowledge about uh, Montana Fouts potentially hitting yes. next year. And and Lexi Kilfoyle possibly as well. Oh, my gosh. Just Katie bar the door. <laughs> and the season start tomorrow, please. <laughs> and then we rounded third with Jen Schroeder, which was uh, just a ton of fun. We oh, wow. started talking about white shorts, and we ended with replay. <laughs> and we covered everything possible in between. 
And and I think I think she's a little bit of a closet Bama fan. I I heard I, it. I, 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 I think P Tech is rubbing off sure. on her because they're friends. You're right. Imagine the the conversations her P Tech and Cat Osterman together. Oh man, can we can we do that? Can we figure out a That's way? That's a podcast in itself, right there. All right, here's the plan: Jen, Cat, mm-hmm. Emily. Yes. All three of us, all three of our teams at the World Series next year. Yep. And we... Which I think Texas has a good shot. I do too. Yeah. And I think we get all of us in OKC uh-huh. at a restaurant, maybe a you know hotel lobby, whatever. We do the podcast with oh. everyone. Done. I haven't even asked them yet, but it's going to happen. It's done. P-Tech, <laughs> we know you're going to listen. Just make it happen. All right. I'm, I'm very down for this. And now it is time for us to head home. We got a lot to cover. So much. We've got all name team. We've mm-hmm. got the Tom's Hungry podium. And then... And then I'm going to say things that I meant to say at the end of the broadcast right. that I couldn't because I was so emotionally unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> Sobbing like a like 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 a baby. Yes. And you know what? I wouldn't take it back. It's okay, right. It's but a, I, nothing to be ashamed of. It made for some really interesting audio. It when certainly you go did. I can listen to it. But first, Tom, it mm-hmm. is time for us to announce the all name team honorees. All right. I've I'm, got the list. And the criteria to make this list. We had to, Alabama had to have played these people and they've had to have gotten into the game. Correct. Okay. Yes. And, and this is not, we're not being you know, spiteful. Like these are just awesome names. They're very cool names. Awesome names that we enjoyed saying. Yes. Last year's winner, if you would remember, was Precious Bird Song, Middle Tennessee. <laughs> of course. One of the best names ever. <laughs> and we'll, we'll do like an all career name right. team whenever, the Hall of Fame coming whenever up we're soon. done. Right. All right. So the all name team honorees this year out of Illinois, Chicago. Kayla Posajewski mm-hmm. out of Arizona. Deja Molipola. Molipola. She's very good. <laughs> she, out of, yeah, she also makes All-American and, and Olympic teams. As yeah, well. she's casually uh, yeah. very, very good at softball. Louisiana Monroe, Charlie Names. From Minnesota, Caitlin Kimmett-Mueller. From Minnesota, freshman of the year finalist, Natalie Denhartog. Mm-hmm. From St. Francis, Mackenzie Sabin. Had to well, throw that of in course, yeah. right. Also from St. Francis, Meadow Unsifer. Mm, yeah, Meadow. From Mississippi Valley State, Jade Arroyo. Also, the next three are from Mississippi Valley State, Alejandra Salazar, Lexany Taronis, and Jodice Afoatua. Oh, yeah, Jodice. I remember that one. Yes. From SIUE. And, and, and most likely, all these names are ones I mispronounced at some point during That's, the broadcast. That was also part of the criteria. <laughs> <laughs> from SIUE, Jade Cranawetter. From Hawaii, Cheeks Ramos. Mm-hmm. Hawaii volunteer assistant, Dickie Titcomb. From Georgia Tech, Sky Webb. From Georgia Tech, Sage Pie. From Mississippi State, Carter Spexarth. From Georgia State, Remington Hasty. Remington Hasty. Just, uh, that was one of my personal yeah, favorites, I don't, honestly. I like that one. From Florida, Teresa Swertfazer. I believe that's right. <laughs> From Kentucky, Sarah Rainwater. So, yeah. And so we had two down for the MVP. Okay. Your runner-up, I think this is, we agree on this. Oh, we agree, right, yes. Tuesday, Dermagorgian from Texas. Tuesday, Dermagorgian. Just awesome. Oh, that's an awesome name. And your winner, Chardonnay, Sissy Pantastico from Hawaii. Oh, my favorite. I, so I good. 100% agree. Sissy Pantastico. We didn't even know her name was Chardonnay right. until after the trip, which, which only helps. Clued locked it in. Yes. So congratulations to Miss Pantastico. Yes. And there are some out there that I wish we could have played. Apparently, Stephen F. Austin is a player named Margarita Corona. <laughs> would have been would have been great. Mm-hmm. But uh, Chardonnay, Sissy Pantastico, you are the winner of the all name team 
And if we ever play Hawaii again, you will get a high five from both of us. I uh, I don't like playing Washington in any form or fashion, but that was the only reason I wanted to play Washington to get a silent rain in there. Yes. Yeah, silent rain Espinosa. But again, didn't fit the criteria. Didn't we didn't play them and yeah. she didn't get in the game. So. And um, what was it? Mama Rivera from Hawaii. She never got in the game. <laughs> uh, never set her on the air. So can't can't make it. But sorry. But I, I think Pantastico had, had it had it pretty much wrapped up from that Hawaii trip. Yeah. On. There, there were a lot of things that happened that Hawaii trip, and my favorite thing was Chardonnay Sissy Fantastico. <laughs> yes, a lot of name team. A lot of things happened in Hawaii. We also ate food. Oh, all year long. And it's been a really great year. I think that the Tom's Hungry segment has proven to be maybe the most popular <laughs> on the podcast. Which I don't know what that says about us. Right. Shout out to SID Extraordinaire Nate Sheehan for yes. coming up with the idea. Yes, yes, it is all Nate's idea, and we will credit Nate until mm-hmm. the end of time. Yes. He's not here, however. No, I no. know what he would say for some of these restaurants, but it's time for us, Tom, to give our podium. Okay. Our gold, silver, bronze mm-hmm. for Tom's Hungry for the Year. So I will let you start with your bronze, and I'll go bronze back and forth. All right. Who is your bronze medalist for the Tom's Hungry Award this Ma- year? Making the podium as the bronze medalist, the maker of possibly, if not des- definitely, the greatest potato salad I've ever eaten. Good Bull Barbecue. Wow. College Station, Texas. This is a little bit of a surprise. And, and the and the only place that we have done a podcast from other than this particular studio. That's true. Shout out to Roy May, owner of Good Bull Barbecue. So that, that and the rest of the food was outstanding there as well. Absolutely. But yeah. Good Bull coming in at number three. And you know that we have had some great food if Good Bull Barbecue is number three on the list. Yeah. All right. I'm a, I'm a little shocked. Okay. I thought it would be higher, but that's fine. My bronze medalist is Dukes down in Honolulu. Ah, Dukes. Superb. Just, I had a great fish thing. I don't, I still don't know what kind of fish it was. <laughs> it was very it pretty. Was, it was, it was very, so good. Yeah, yes. I took a picture of it so I can tweet it out maybe if you care. But it had <laughs> pesto. It was, oh man. Uh, it was outstanding. Good so. salad bar. You loved the salad bar mm-hmm. there. Uh, the desserts. I don't think I had any because I was too full, but I remember Patrick <laughs> Murphy ordered one and it was huge. Dukes is my bronze medalist. And and you're basically eating on the beach in Hawaii. Yeah, not too bad. Oh, nothing in Hawaii was bad. No. And that was outstanding. All right, Tom, your silver medalist. My silver medalist, the making it onto the podium at number two. We were just there, actually ate there twice during our, our trip to Oklahoma City, Cattleman's Steakhouse. Oh, okay. Cattleman's was great. The first day we had, uh, I had a ribeye, and then we went back. Uh, I knew that was, was it Saturday or Friday? I don't remember which day. I don't know. But it was, it was, they it all was, ran was, together. Right. It was a few days later, went back and I had the filet and that was literally the best filet I've ever had. It was just amazingly good. Uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. The second time was also a great choice. Um, really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to go, you know, we've had a lot of steaks as one of the places, you know, Italian and steak are, are pretty, pretty, st- pretty much staples yeah. uh, on the road. And I'm going to go Cattleman's at number two. It's a very strong choice. And it just missed my shot at the podium because I had that same filet twice. Mm-hmm. Bacon wrapped. Delicious. Mm. Oh, my gosh. My silver medalist. The Habits Family Compound in oh. Crawley, Louisiana. Oh, yes. Um, where do I start? No, oh, all of the crawfish. Cupcakes, the boudin egg rolls. Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, my gosh, yes. Allison Habits, if you're tuning in. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for everything. Thank you for being on the Alabama Coaching Staff, but mainly thank you for inviting us to that house that is a that belongs to someone in your family <laughs> and hosting us for that delicious meal because I still haven't forgotten about it. And and if any habitses 
are listening, mm-hmm. I can give you my address and you can send me any of those boudin egg rolls anytime because I will gladly accept them and then send like 10 thank you notes in <laughs> response because I love those. My silver medalists have its family compound. And we also need to uh, finish the rain suspended uh, cornhole game. That's correct. Yeah. Stephanie Van Brakel Protho, if you're tuning in, yes. let's go. We haven't forgotten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, you're a, uh, you're gold medalist, gold medalist mentioned before early on the podcast. I'm going Duke's number one. Really? Yes. Pineapple carries you all the way. Huh? Which I know shocking in Hawaii, the best pineapple I've ever had. Like, <laughs> like if you get a pineapple now, just go to the store right now and get a pineapple. It's impossible that it will taste anywhere near as good as what we had in Hawaii anywhere. But Duke's was just amazing. And then I had, at a beef tenderloin that was just amazingly good. So I, I, I'm going with Duke's number one. Plus, again, you're watching the sunset over the Pacific Ocean. Why? Yeah. While you're eating, so the the atmosphere kind of gives it gets it over the top. I gotta go Good Bull for my goal. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it, it was it was the first restaurant I ever talked about on this segment. They let us have a podcast there. Right. The tacos were delicious. Mm. I I want to go back immediately. I don't have a lot of reasons why I want to go back to College Station, but uh-huh. Good Bull is certainly one of those. And again, Roy May, the hospitality he extended to us, just bringing us food. Sure. I mean, he brought us ribs. Just said, here, here, have some of these. Have some ribs. Right. And it was everything was good. Sure. And the potato salad was the best mm. I've ever had. Yeah. So, good bull. And it's amazing to think like all the places that we eaten that did not make this list. Oh. You know, I can't believe you made Cattleman's me didn't three. make mine. That's amazing. I mean, but I understand it. I'm not mad at it. You know, we we went to walk-ons a couple times. That was great. We got you know Antonio's in College Station, the Italian place that you loved in Gainesville. Yeah. Um, what was the uh, the place in Baton Rouge where we ate the first time that it took forever to get the food, but it was delicious. Oh, that was, was uh, Sammy's. Sammy's. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so many, so many good spots. And next year we've got a decent list. Yeah. I, I can't wait. We're, we're gonna have to start scouting possible spots for Tom's Hungry soon. I'm not gonna lie. I probably already know he's gonna take the gold medal for me next year. Probably going to be Little Dewey's in Starkville. It's, it's hard to beat. Very, very difficult oh. to top. Like that—that that was the first place, and I—I've I, known it's a thing, but I—I I wasn't. I've been, always been a big fan of coleslaw. I've mm-hmm. kind of kind of come into coleslaw here recently, uh, more so than than before. But the coleslaw on the barbecue sandwich at Little Dewey's, just oh, it works. Oh, and I, I love the little pimento cheese bites that are oh. yeah. All right. Can't we're, wait. We're ready for 2020. <laughs> for right. so many reasons. Uh, so, not not the least of which the food. So finally, Tom, before we wrap things up, one final off the wall. No. Oh. People said things all year long, and, and I'm going to read. Things were said. I'm going to read the two comments word for word. I'm not going to say who said them. Although okay. if you listen, you know. Who you probably know who they are. All right. I'm going to read the two comments that I thought were the most off the wall. And just proves the doubt that this team faced all season long. Again, 99.9% of all the fans are awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. That being said, that being said, some people say dumb things and we know this segment is created to poke fun at them. And the team has heard some of these quotes. There is, there is the 0.1%, which are very vocal. There is a line that said, when will Murphy get some hitters? Never line about punch and Judy hitting. We will get destroyed in sec play. Didn't happen. No. This team, in Spoiler fact, alert. won the SEC. Yes. And had one of the best offenses in the entire uh, nation. And then I kept seeing comments like this one. 
Well, once again, the real Alabama hitters show up. That was after the Kentucky loss. Now, the real Alabama team this year was the team that fought tooth and nail against Arizona, fought tooth and nail against Oklahoma, that won the SEC by four games, that never gave up, and that blew the heck out of Florida. 15-3 to three in five innings. That was the team. Yeah. A- any, any argument that this team didn't match expectations is off the wall to me because the fact that Alabama accomplished what they did this season is just a credit to Patrick Murphy, Allison Habits, and these players for how hard they work because it could have been very easy for this team to listen to some of these comments that are out there in the world, and they didn't. They didn't from day one. Far exceeded all expectations. Easily. Far exceeded. Yeah. Uh, there was just uh, – and, and the thing about it is, too, is that people respond – or these type of people that we're talking about in the off the wall segment are people that respond to a sport like softball or baseball the same way they would respond to a football game. Right. Or to a lesser extent basketball. Right. But you're going to, there are many, there are going to be games where even if you have the literally the best offense that is, that has ever played, you're going to have games where you score zero or one runs Oklahoma. Right. It's just it, it, those are the type of games that are going to happen. You're going to run up against a pitcher that is just throwing out of her mind. You're going to run up against a defense that's going to make every catch, diving or otherwise. You're going to run up against a, a strike zone that is off the wall. <laughs> Speaking of off the wall, you're just going to run into those type of things. And that's the type of sport that this is. It is a sport of failure on the offensive level. So it, there's going to be those type of games. There's also going to be type of games where you can have the best pitching staff in the world and you're still going to have to win 10 to 9. Yeah. It's just the way, it's just the, way the sport is. And to have knee-jerk reactions about a single game or even a single weekend is it's just it shows your ignorance overall yeah. about the sport. Well, and if you're going to jump on, don't jump on for the World Series and then criticize if Alabama doesn't win it. You know, tr- trust that this program is going in the right direction, and and we'd love to have you at the beginning. We would love to have you tuning in and keeping track and retweeting and and just having fun and following this team at the beginning of the season. Right. You know, if you're going to jump in in the World Series and say, well, why couldn't Alabama win it? What a failure of a year. Then you're just wrong. And you're, you're, you're you doing a disservice not. to the sport and to the program. Right. You know, and, and I mean, if you're if you're a fan that's a casual fan that, you know, only only watches once you get into postseason, that's fine. We're, we're happy to have you when yep. you get here. You know, come on whenever you want to. It's just, you know, don't decide then that you're going to critique the entire season. Right. When you weren't watching it. Yes. When when you were apparently like the selection committee and didn't watch softball. <laughs> when you forgot that they played from right. February <laughs> right. until April. Yes. Uh, that's off the wall. Right. And I, you know, and I'm hoping that next year it's a little bit calmer because I think we did have more people jump in in the regular season than we have in the past. That being said, the expectations are going to be higher. Sure. So when there is that loss that happens... The, I'm going to have so much content. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> well, and just know too, and I think that's what some of these people have also figured out is that there's a lot more supporters and there are detractors. Oh yeah. Even when it is a, it is a quote down year, like, like Alabama had the two years prior. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to get called to the carpet when, when you, when you say ignorant things. Yeah. And you want to know the truth about that? Go look at the replies on Facebook after the end of the season. A mm-hmm. lot of people realized what this year meant and they right. commented as such. And, Absolutely. and that was always good to see. You saw it was a very positive response. Even after the first Oklahoma loss on day yeah. number one of the women's college world series, it was that I saw very few that were detrimental. It was all very positive and, you know, lo- looking, looking forward to the next day as opposed to what could, it could have been. And we, and I appreciate that I do again. Too. And that's what I'm saying. 99% are going to be just 
are the best. And Alabama truly has the best softball fans in the entire country. You look at the, uh, the uh, ratings for the women's college world series, the number three market was Birmingham, which Tuscaloosa is a part of the highest rated games for the entire tournament. Common theme. If it wasn't a championship game, Alabama was involved. Right. But that being said, the people in Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, they were watching it even when Alabama wasn't involved. Yeah. So it's, it's great to see, you know, the tremendous fan base that Alabama has. And, you know, unfortunately just some of the uh, most ignorant among them have, have a big voice on social media, which you just have to ignore. But that's what we're here for. That's what, yeah. You know, we can just poke fun at them (laughs) and say, come on. All right. That's it. That's the out of the box podcast for uh, season one. So uh, Tom, before we dive into the future plan for Mm -hmm. broadcasts and podcasts, anything you would like to say as we, wind down well i just uh, appreciate everyone that has listened in both the podcasts and uh, this is wrapping up my fifth year as the play-by-play voice of the crimson tide and gray's been with me for now two and a half seasons and appreciate everything that that gray that you have brought to the to the entire uh program and and to our broadcast as well so much uh content brought in and uh just i appreciate everyone for listening and the support uh that they've given me and they've given uh, this program and again just just hang with us because it's even going to get better yeah, I have to say the exact same thing. This is what I meant to say at the end of the broadcast, but couldn't get through it. Um, yeah, what a year it was. You know, I'm so proud of the seniors. I- I'm. It's amazing that when we started this, I a lot of these players thought I was 30, first of all. <laughs> but, you know, a-, a lot of them have become friends. You know, yeah. I-, I was hanging out with Mara Schroeder recently, and, and, you know, anytime I see Courtney Gettins, she gives me a hug. And, and you know, it it's really is a family with this program, and that's what makes Alabama softball so special and makes it so fun and easy for us to go on the road every oh, yeah. weekend mm-hmm. and hang out with the support staff, our road family, and this coaching staff and all these players. It's just a special group. And Team 23 provided so many memories that I would never be able to have, to dream about that I never thought would come about and, and so many moments that are going to stand out in my mind forever. And yeah. it was just such a special, special season. It was fun to to actually have a full year together and, yeah. and wind it down uh, in OKC. It was just so much fun. And I wouldn't, I would not trade this spring for anything in the world. It was the best time I've had ever. And like you said, we're ahead of schedule next year. is going to be even more fun, right? It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. And uh, this team, team 23 was, they were special and they were special on and off the field. Yeah. And it was, they were an easy team to root for. We talked with coach Murphy about that. And you could see that, you know, if you, if you were just a fan that were only, only saw them on the field, you knew that they, they were a special team, a special group of girls, and they're going to be, uh, to, to, uh, steal a line. They're going to be champions of life wherever they go. (laughs) Uh, so it's, it's going to great to see what they're going to do. And then can't wait for team 24. Team 24 is going to be a blast, and we will be there covering it, as always, on 93.3 FM on The Praise. You can find it on RollTide.com, and I'm so excited. We start in Tallahassee. Yeah. Then we go to Clearwater to mm-hmm. face the toughest tournament field possible. <laughs> right. And then we come back, and in one of those tournaments, we've got Texas coming in mm-hmm. for what I assume will be two games. Right. It's going to be a tough road, and yeah. we're going to be there every step of the way with the Out of the Box podcast. And uh, the broadcasts on the air. Yeah, really looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So for out of the box, our plan is after fall ball, we're gonna come back. By then, we should know a lot about the transfer portal. We'll mm-hmm. know who's coming, who's staying. We can tell you about Lexi Kilfoyle because we'll have seen her pitched. Can't wait for that. And then uh, and then we'll be back to preview the season in February. Yeah. And until then, I'm gonna go sit on a dock somewhere. <laughs> 
And I don't know. We'll watch some of the other sports. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Golf is happening. Tennis, French Open, whatever. Yeah. Football, that too. Right. Oh, so, man. <laughs> looking forward to the halftime of one game especially. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll tweet out the date for that. And uh, probably tweet pictures from our accounts, which... Sure. People can find you on uh, Twitter where, Tom? At T Canterbury, R-T-R-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y uh, on Twitter. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on everything that's going on. And then you can find me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Or follow the show on Twitter at box underscore pod. It's been a good, good, uh, good fun year. Good partner. ass. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's exactly as they drew it up. But let's uh, <laughs> run it back. Stay in OKC a little bit longer next that, year. That's the plan. That's it for us here on the podcast. What a just unbelievable season. So much fun. We started this podcast because a few people made a suggestion and our audience has grown so much since the first episode. We got so many followers on Twitter. Thank you to all of you for sticking by us this whole season long. It's been a total blast. As mentioned, we'll be back after fall ball to give you a preview of Alabama and update you on the transfer portal and whatever the heck else is going on in college softball, because you know, something will be happening that we will have to discuss that all coming up in a couple months until then thank you everybody for my partner tom canterbury i'm gray robertson saying so long from the out of the box podcast we'll see you next season